Good morning, all, and welcome to the primary view from Reorg, featuring incisive insight on issues impacting distressed debt, leverage finance, direct lending, high yield, municipals, covenants, private credit, private equity, middle market, and private debt. Today, it's our great pleasure to welcome Ken Monahan, Managing Director and Co-Director of High Yield at Amundi and the manager of their Global High Yield Fund. Ken joins us today with 40 years of experience in the markets. Prior to joining Amundi in 2014, he was a partner in the portfolio manager responsible for U.S. high yield at Rogue and oversaw U.S. high yield for ING investment management. Prior to that, he was a high-yield credit analyst at Salomon Brothers in New York City, where he oversaw the firm's high-yield research and launched the firm's distressed debt effort. I actually met Ken back in those days, in the early 90s, I think, at Salomon, some sort of function at the Winter Garden and the World Trade Center, where the legendary firm's offices were located. Ken, thanks for being with us today and sharing the uh, benefit of your uh, years of experience. And we are certainly living in interesting times between the red hot <laughs> inflation, the hawkish Fed, geopolitical unrest and what's looking to be a cold winter in Europe. Um, markets have definitely re-racked low over the last month or so. How would you compare the current year to 2009 or other periods of stress? Well, it certainly doesn't look like 2009 because I think that the big differentiator between then and now is that there's really no major concern about the banking system globally. Now, there clearly are pockets of concerns with individual countries or banks, but you know, by and large, I think everyone acknowledges that the the capital adequacy of the banking system uh, now is is dramatically different than that uh, we experienced during that 0809 period. So I think that that's the big difference. So, you know, it feels much more like, um, you know, previous recessions prior to that, maybe the 1991 or the 0102 kind of the time frame. Um, the big difference here, though, is that I think a slowdown has been so well telegraphed that it's changing people's behaviors. I think, you know, we've all kind of positioned ourselves for uh, or in anticipation of uh, a recession. Um, and for that reason, you know, I think one of the things we're wondering is whether or not the type of metrics we think that we should be trading at eventually um, ever appear um, because of this uh, fact that we've all been positioning ourselves for it well in advance. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Now, just speaking about markets and market indicators, it seems like only 18 months or so ago, we were seeing some high yield credits, you know, admittedly double Bs print with coupons of around 4%. And now um, such deals that we do see within the high yield bond market can only get done with double digit coupons and hefty OIDs. Um, you, you can argue, of course, that a sub 4% yield was too expensive, but are these recent deals being done too cheap? Well, I, yeah, I think you need to recognize that we live in a relative world. So uh, if we go back and remember that uh, in the midst of COVID, treasuries on the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond got down to yields of, of 50 basis points. And, you know, now we're at uh, basically at 4%. You know, if we're looking at bonds, you know, we got down to yields of negative 85 basis points. And now we're yielding about 215. So those are pretty big swings. And obviously, a lot of that swing has taken place in the last six months or so. Uh, 
Um, <clears throat> but if you remember the companies, I think, as you accurately pointed out, they were issuing sub uh, 4% bonds back then. Uh, most of them were double B. And while you're seeing some companies issuing uh, debt now with their bonds now with double digit yields on them, most of them are not double B. As a matter of fact, they're anything but. Uh, many of them are financing LBO activities, whereas many of those companies or most of those companies that were issuing, you know, sub four or four percent coupon bonds were issuing debt that was kind of in the normal course of business. And I think that that's the big difference. Um, could you argue four percent was was uh, was too expensive? And you know, obviously yes. I mean, you know, but when even when we look on a the spread basis going back to the earlier part of this year at uh, late December, early January this year, we were trading at a spread level. What that was um, the historic tights going back to uh, the Great Recession, um, you know, spreads in the spring of uh, 2007 that actually had gotten tighter than that. But we were trading at a pretty tight level. It was kind of hard to argue in January of this year, or December of, uh, of last year, that the high yield market was cheap. Great, thank you. Now, you mentioned LBOs and the deals that we have seen this year and the ones that have come with these interesting pricings have been ones back in the LBOs and M&A. And of course, Brightspeed was pulled. And we've heard that some other um, deals that were that are backing M&A or LBO, like Tenneco and Nielsen and Twitter, I think, may not come to market just yet. Um, how would you describe banks for, un for, for underwriting M&A deals at this moment? And what does this do to the pipeline for M&A, which has just traditionally been a huge driver for both loans and bonds? Well, I, 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 clearly the banks are looking at their wounds a bit, but I think that they've suffered bigger losses in, in previous periods of time uh, with hung, hung bridges. So I, I'm not sure that this is going to cause them to walk away. And I think that they need to recognize, as I, they well do, that they are living in a much more competitive environment right now, where they need to be aware of and, and mindful of the competition that's being provided by private capital um, and um, the transaction size that those private uh, capital funds can, uh, can finance. You know, if we go back two or three years, the difference in size is, is dramatic because that much more money has been allocated to that marketplace. Now, arguably, um, the, the fact that those uh, pockets of capital aren't really marked to market the same way that a daily traded mutual fund is, um, maybe saving them from some of the volatility that uh, we otherwise have been experiencing. Um, and that may mean that they, you know, are a little bit of a different position walking into a potential recession in the back half of 2023. Um, but I don't think we're going to see banks walking away. And I think uh, let's also recognize that if we are looking at M&A, uh, in general, or LBOs in particular, um, that the flavor that uh, private equity shops had preferred uh, over the last handful of years has been leveraged loans because it gives them a much greater ability to um, uh, redeem uh, those transactions early without the penalties that would be incurred with uh, with a high yield bond with call protection. So um, that's one of the reasons if we go back over the last as 10 years, um, and we look at new issuance in the high-yield marketplace and where the averages are for the high-yield marketplace, that uh, we've had about a 10 percentage point shift in uh, the percentage of the marketplace that's represented by double B. So, you know, I would argue that if you look, you know, at the, at the history, we see that the average credit quality of high-yield bonds has gone up 
while the average credit quality of leveraged loans has gone down. And that's part largely because, um, not partially because, but largely because leveraged loans are being used more frequently to finance M&A and LBO activity. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that. And so just the outlook, the, the outlook for additional for additional LBO and activity over the next couple of couple of years, do you just have, have a sense of that? Is the looming recession going to, to limit that? Or are people going to perhaps just look up to pick up some things on the cheap? Well, certainly, you know, what, what could happen with a recession and you know, as I indicated earlier, I think that uh, one of the problems with this one that's perhaps coming up and we anticipate it is, um, is that it's been so well telegraphed is that we would normally expect um, credit spreads, whether we're looking at high yield bonds or leveraged loans to gap out much more dramatically than they have. You know, we had been trading at 600 over in um, in uh, in early July and um, we were trading at about um, 450 over the beginning of this month and now we've dipped down to about 475 for, for for U.S. high yield spreads. So that does not seem to be consistent with what no, normally we would expect um, for a recession. Having said that, you know we're probably you know nine months or so away still um, from experiencing one. So there's ample time for spreads to widen out further. But having said that, you know if we're looking at a normal environment where spreads are 700, 800, 900, or 100 over, you would not normally see a lot of LBO activity in that environment because the cost of debt would be too expensive. However, what you would see is that you would see some companies and maybe larger large conglomerate type businesses or multi-asset businesses that might be on the back of a recession or coming out of a recession look to reposition themselves. And part of that would be selling off subsidiaries that may not be considered core to their business and maybe lower growth. Um, so while a recession might actually um, uh, reduce or lessen the uh, amount of LBO or, or, or um, M&A activity for a period of time, often what we see is when you're coming out of one that we do see a pickup. So you know maybe that says that 2023 uh, remains a year like this one where new issue activity is somewhat more subdued than it had been in 2020 and 2021, but maybe it would suggest that by the time we get to 2024, um, we see a much more active calendar of new issues, partly for refinancing reasons, but also because we could see a pickup in LBO and M&A activity. Okay, great, thanks. And just looking ahead, uh, next week the Fed is meeting, and I think speaking of being widely telegraphed, most people are expecting another 75 basis point rate hike, and uh, some people are, are betting that they may go to, they may end up at 5%. I guess, at, at what point do you see the market stabilizing? Is it when they begin to signal that, uh, a definite pivot, or at least a slowdown in the pace of hikes? If you look at what's happened recently, it would suggest the market's already stabilized, which is somewhat perplexing because obviously we're not even close in terms of time frame here to a recessionary environment. And we would suggest we're probably likely to see one in the back half of next year. Um, and from a spread perspective, you know, as I said, we're now inside 500 over, which is kind of inconsistent with what we would normally expect for a recessionary environment. Having said that, let's recognizes, I also pointed out, the average credit quality of the market's improved. So maybe that means spreads don't get out to their normal high double-digit, low triple-digit levels, you know, 900 to 1,000 over. 
um, when we see a recession uh, because the percentage of the market that's single B and triple C has shrunk. Let's also recognize that while we are expecting a recession, we don't necessarily believe it will be a very deep one because of the uh, consumer balance sheets are in pretty good shape as our corporate balance sheets. So maybe that means that spreads don't need to get quite so wide either. Um, but ha having said that, you know, the, the question, you know, as I pointed out early on is, is that, or the point is, is that this recession has been pretty well telegraphed. And I, I think that is changing investors behavior. I think people are already sitting on cash and there's some cash that's on the sidelines. So as we talk about, you know, where spreads go from here, I think, you know, one of the key things we're looking at and wondering about is where the marginal dollar either in or out of the market comes from. So if we look at the high yield marketplace, you know, traditionally, um, because, uh, you know, we also watch what the crossover investor is doing, um, we look at spreads. Um, and that usually is a better determinant of where value is in the market. And from a spread basis, as I pointed out, we're now inside 500 over. Having said that, you know, maybe this time around, maybe that's not the metric to be looking at. Maybe we're in a world where people are going to be more paying more attention to yield. And right now we're still just north of a 9%, um, which if we're looking at that in the context of um, the last uh, 10 or so years, actually really post-Great Recession, we would see that's kind of top decile in terms of yield. So that's attractive to some people. And maybe that means you know we're not going to widen out to the degree that I might otherwise think would be appropriate in a recession because we're already trading at yield levels, which are pretty attractive compared to what people had been earning the last 10 plus years and what maybe their expectations are uh, of earning uh, going forward. Okay. The other metric we're watching, the other metric we're watching is dollar price. Um, and really that's a kind of an interesting one because if we look at the average dollar price in the high yield market right now, it's trading at about 85 cents on the dollar, which is at a pretty low level compared to where we've been historically. And that's partly because of those 4% coupons you mentioned earlier. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate the time. And uh, we look forward to speaking again. Thank you. You take care. Thanks for inviting me.